Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled The Alchemy of Grief and Love. The talk was given by Nahama Greenwald on October 31st, 2020 in Prescott, Arizona. Nahama is a physical therapist, editor, and musician who for 17 years was a member of the Shri Blues Band, which performed Western vowel music. Nahama Greenwald. The topic of the evening is the alchemy of grief and love, something I've been thinking about a lot for this entire year. And yesterday morning, I was driving to work and I turned on the radio and I caught the very tail end of an interview with a woman who had unexpectedly lost her young child. And so she was talking about her uh, process of grieving and she was crying during, during the interview. It was still very uh, raw for her. But from what I could gather, she was uh, a graphic artist and she created a comic book. And her child, the child that had died, was the superhero uh, main character of the comic book. And it was being very well received. And that's why she was on the radio. So she's talking about this. And she says, you know, grief is just the flip side of love. And when she said that, I went, wow, that is confirmation for what I'm going to talk about tonight. It was just perfect timing. And so um, that's what we will be speaking about this evening. And usually when I give a talk, I begin by saying that it's my intention and prayer to say something useful. And tonight, in addition to that, it's my intention and prayer to say something heartful and real, because we, we need that from each other right now. So we need what the mystics call the sound of the genuine, which is the sound that, that lives and vibrates and hums in our heart of hearts, in the depth of the human heart, because it is in and through the heart that we are able to know and discern what is true, what is genuine, what is merciful, and what is real. So it is my wish, my prayer for us to be able to connect from this place of the sound of the genuine within our hearts with each other. And tonight is an auspicious night because it's the full moon in Taurus. It's Halloween, All Hallows' Eve, and it's the eve of uh, Dia de los Muertos, or Day of the Dead, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with that originated in Mexico and is celebrated Central America, Latin America, um, and parts of the U.S., where the living come together in cemeteries and in the streets to celebrate, um, remember, acknowledge their ancestors, those that they have lost, that have died, that they have grieved for. And it's very celebratory, very vibrant, and celebrated with, with ritual and uh, food and music. And it's an absolutely beautiful, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful holiday. And I think it's actually a demonstration of the relationship and the interconnectedness between love and grief. So all of that is happening tonight. So it's, it's, it's a fine evening to do a talk on this topic. There was a, a number of months ago where I was listening to a podcast 
And the speaker was saying that we need to protect the ingredients of life as if they were our own eyeballs. And that that really struck me. Like, I wanted to think about that. What does that mean? Because what are our eyeballs? They're precious because it's our primary, not our only way, but it's our primary way of connecting to the world. So we want to protect them. And I think that an ingredient of life that we want to protect is one that inspires us to awaken, that connects us to beauty, to compassion, to the sacred, to the depths of our own being. And grief and love are two such precious ingredients. They're powerful, they're raw, they're wild, and they are full of transformational potential. So we want to care for them with our attention and by giving them the rightful place in our lives. It's my observation that, and I'm speaking culturally now, that as a culture, we tend to deny and separate ourselves from grief and that we acknowledge it when we have to, when we've lost someone or something that we love and grief is the organic, natural response that comes pouring out from from the depths, but that we actually live in a death phobic culture and a culture that avoids any kind of emotional depth. So we tend not to value it by giving it its rightful place in our lives. When we are in the throes of grief, it's very powerful and there's a descent downward. And in that descent, we may feel like we're losing control or that even that we may be even losing our minds. And so this can be scary. It can be terrifying, um, particularly in, in a culture like ours. And so we don't have a mature relationship. This is, this is my observation. We don't have a mature relationship. We don't have a full and engaged relationship with grief in this culture. And as somebody once said, we don't spend time worshiping at the grief shrine. And there are a lot of unspoken messages about grief. Like, for example, when someone is grieving, there's like a a time limit. And at a certain point, you know, we might be inclined to say to someone, well, maybe you should find another partner. Maybe it's time to go back to work, or maybe it's time to get busy with activity again. There's all kinds of... um, all kinds of uh, uh, judgments and, and, and ideas about how one should grieve. But really, we don't understand. There's a lot that we don't understand that we are not so fluent in the expression and the language of grief. And I feel also that in spiritual schools, sometimes there's a tendency to minimize grief to explain it with spiritual principles and ideas. And as a result, there's this possibility of diluting and underestimating its potential value and usefulness on the path. And when I say that, I want to clarify because we need the Dharma. We need spiritual principles for everything that arises in our lives. We want to have the accessibility and availability of the Dharma, but we have to be careful because we can sometimes use a Dharma to avoid dealing with um, a deep emotion and feeling, which John Wellwood called spiritual bypassing. So I think there's a fine line, and I think that that it, it, it is something that can happen, that we can use spiritual principles and ideas to um, explain it away instead of really allowing ourselves to, to go into it. And again, this is, my, this is my opinion and observation. But now, all we have to do is open our eyes and look around and witness the magnification of grief, both human and planetary, because it's spilling out everywhere, all over the place, during this modern wake-up call and profound 
period of purification that we are undergoing that is um, completely shifting the world's assemblage point. So we are seeing this welling up of grief from the collective soul of humanity. And uh, Robert Svoboda termed the coronavirus Ma Corona Devi. She's our our, uh, divine feminine deity, our wake-up call. And I thought that was great, Ma Corona Devi. So this is what we are all dealing with right now. And I know this has been mentioned in previous talks, but I can't do a talk about love and grief and good conscience without mentioning the very real and dramatic effects of climate change. So we're watching a steady and rapid loss of forest species, cultures, habitats, rising temperatures that will soon make some regions some regions of the world uninhabitable, smoke from the fires in California that have drifted across the Atlantic Ocean into Europe, the melting of the glaciers, we can go on and on and on. And this is planetary grief. This is the grief of witnessing that human beings in their greed and materialism and ignorance have falsely assumed that they were separate from the body of Mother Earth. And it is a false assumption that our bodies are separate from the body of the Earth. And as a result, have felt entitled to destroy and abuse this precious and beautiful planet that we are so privileged to live on. And I can say, that it, um, and I know I'm not alone, it completely breaks my heart. I want to read a quote from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh about this, a really beautiful quote of his. This is what he says. The world is not a problem to be solved. It's a living being to which we belong. The world is part of our own self, and we are a part of its suffering wholeness. Until we go to the root of our own image of separateness, there can be no healing. And the deepest part of our separateness from creation lies in our forgetfulness of its sacred nature, which is also our own sacred nature. And he makes a very important point because he's saying that this false assumption of separateness has to do with this loss of connection to the sacred, not just to our own sacred nature, but to the sacredness of creation. And I would say along with that, there is a loss of connection to beauty, that there has been this cutoff and separation from the immensely rich world of beauty. And I think that's all tied in with everything that's going on the way in terms of the way of how our planet is being treated. So that in and of itself, the loss of connection to beauty and to the sacred is reason for grieving. Also on a personal note, just to add that um, for me, grief has been a constant and steady presence and companion for me for this entire year due to uh, an avalanche of personal loss. And so for this reason and for many others, I just want to say that it's it's very timely for me to, to talk about this. And I think that grief and love are side by side in a close embrace and that they need each other the way the earth needs the sky and the sky needs the earth. There's a 12th century poem which says, it's a holy thing to love what death can touch. And why is that? Why is it holy to love something that death can touch? Because when we love something or someone, we know we are going to lose it. That when we love something or someone, we will lose them. And our willingness to love anyway and to love fully 
abundantly, profoundly, wholeheartedly is something that is holy. But in order to keep it holy, we have to become fluent in the language and the expression of grief. As Martin Prechtel, he's such a fantastic writer. And he so elegantly and beautifully says that without fully grieving, we can't truly love because grief is what allows the heart to stay open to love. And love includes the whole field of relationships, but it's also love as presence, love as praise, love as vulnerability, and as receptivity in in the way that I am speaking about it. And if we're talking about love as praise, that when we grieve, it's a way of offering praise for what we have loved and lost. So we want to, we need to be able to digest the impossible pain and emptiness of loss so that it can be metabolized into something that will serve and feed life. For example, in the form of of beauty or creativity or prayer or cooking or gardening. There are so many, many ways. It's like the woman who lost her child that created this comic book. That was her way of metabolizing grief. So when we digest and metabolize grief, it becomes an offering that feeds life at its source. And it becomes food for the continuation and the thriving of life, vitality, and aliveness. And it actually becomes digested into the very matrix of our being. And grief, it's a powerful solvent because it has a way of softening those hard places in our heart, those kind of sealed off intractable places that maybe we have not been able to feel or connect with. It's like if there's a river that's frozen and then then that river begins to thaw with warmth and sunlight. Grief is like that. Grief can do that. It can thaw any place in our hearts that is frozen. And it's very, it's very, very powerful. And if we don't allow ourselves to fully grieve, as Martine Prechtel said, it just becomes toxic to the whole system, to the body, to the mind, to the emotions. It doesn't go away. It doesn't disappear into thin air. It goes underground and it comes out sideways. It can come out as as anger, as rage, as violence, as aggression, as depression. So it's really important that we learn how to work with grief, how we how to learn to metabolize and digest it become, because then we can offer it back to life. And grief and love also awaken us to a kind of nobility of soul. So again, if we're talking about grief, and this is my personal experience of it, it has the effect of, it's like a tide washing over us. It cleanses us. It washes over us and through us, and it empties us out. It creates this this interior space and as kind of openness, an openness in the heart, I would say. And in that state of greater interior space and openness of the heart, there is so much more room to feel everything with a greater degree of vividness and sensitivity. And when there is more room in our heart, that softening, thawing process, there's a relaxation. And when the heart, you know, the heart has secrets that it can reveal to us. And when there's a relaxation in the heart, it's like the heart begins to uncoil, to unwind. And these secrets begin to reveal themselves to us and to teach us. And so in that way, we connect with our innate wisdom. And if we continue to follow the thread of grief, 
it takes us to the void. It takes us to the heart of insubstantiality. It takes us to emptiness, to shunyata. And it takes us to the great mystery. And when we rest, when we follow that thread and we can rest in the great mystery, it's, it takes us to a place of not knowing. It's like we don't know. We're just resting in the mystery and we realize that we don't need to know. I think that that's where grief takes us. And that is a relief. It's a resting place. We can rest there. Robert Svoboda, um, I was listening to this uh, uh, short video and he was talking about grief and he was saying that the Sanskrit word for grief is shoka. And the root of the word shoka means to purify and to burn. And this is true of love as well, that there's a, there's a transformative aspect, there's a purifying aspect to grief. And it has this alchemical capacity to help us cleanse and purify the veils, the misconceptions, the illusions, the untruths, the confusions, and the projections, anything that stands between us and reality so that we can see clearly, so that we can bear witness to all that is, to reality as it is. And they purify whatever is separating us from reality. And in that way, they awaken us to a clarity of vision. And we need that in a world of lies, distortion, denial of truth, to see clearly is a very, very powerful practice for our time. And I, have really, I can really testify about that. I really come to feel that in, in this year that we are living through. There's a great quote from uh, Richard Rohr, who's this um, absolutely awesome, radical Franciscan priest. And he says, reality is the greatest ally of God. And he goes on to say that when you face reality, even in its most horrific, horrible forms, you will always meet the divine. The divine will always be there because the divine is in reality, whether it's in darkness or in light. And I think that's a, that's a fabulous quote. Another thing about grief is that it has this ability. And again, I'm, I'm speaking personally too. It has this ability to bring us into the present moment because it so strongly and powerfully undermines the illusory belief that we have that life is permanent and life is solid and I've got solid ground under my feet and things are just going to go on. And we all, we all believe that. We all fall asleep and we all believe that. But when we go through a grieving process, to me, it shatters all that. It undermines all of that. And we are brought very powerfully into the present moment. And both when we fall asleep, then both permanence and the belief in solidity are, um, it's like, it's, it's more like an investment in the future. When we believe that things are solid and permanent, then we, we're investing in the future. But when we are in a state of grief, that gets undermined and we are brought into the present moment. And, you know, maybe we don't want to be in the present moment because it hurts so much. And maybe we want to escape. Maybe we want any kind of distraction whatsoever. And I certainly feel that way a lot. I'm not, there's no judgment about that whatsoever. But the thing is, is that if sometimes we can stay with it, and one way to stay with it is just to stay with the breath, if we can ride the waves of the breath and stay with the powerful feeling of grief in the present moment, then sometimes grace is there with open arms to embrace us. And I'm, I'm not speaking this as some kind of lofty feeling. I think this is real. Not always. 
Sometimes it's not like that at all, but sometimes it can be like that. So grief has this um, incredibly alchemical capacity to just take us right in a millisecond into the present moment. So I want to say a couple more things, and I want to hear from you all. But a couple more things. Um, I was listening to a podcast because I've been listening to a lot of podcasts uh, the past few months. And this is a podcast. uh, She's a Buddhist teacher. Her name is uh, Reverend Kyoto Williams. I'm, I'm not very familiar with her, but she's a Buddhist teacher. And she was talking about the koan of the red thread. It's from the 12th century. So the koan is, why is it that even clear-eyed bodhisattvas cannot break away from the red thread? Interesting. What does that mean? And she was saying that who are the clear-eyed bodhisattvas? They're not just the Mahasiddhas. They're not just the great masters and spiritually realized beings. They are us because we have seen the path, we have awakened to the path, we have stepped onto the path, and we are committed to the path. So it's not just why is it that the great bodhisattvas cannot break away from the red thread, it's why can't we that have found the path and treasure the path, why can't we not break away from the red thread? And the color red is associated with many things, including it's associated with passion. It's associated with blood, like the blood from a wound or the blood from uh, menstruation. It's associated with, did I say passion? It's associated with passion. It's associated with women of the night. It's associated with the scarlet. Remember the scarlet letter? It's associated with the scarlet letter. So everything that's kind of raw, and messy, and bleeding. So why can't we cut the umbilical cord with the messiness of life? And grief and love are messy, and bleeding, and raw. And so there's this apparent dichotomy between the pristine nature of the path the pristine dharma, the non-dual, beautiful dharma, and then there's life with its chaos, its messiness, its, its 10,000 joys and sorrow, its, its wildness, it's, it's all of that that we encounter every single day. So how do we bring together the pristine path in life in its raw, bleeding wildness? Because, actually, they're inseparable. They're not separate at all. Because it's in the messiness of life. It's in the the bleeding, raw, wild aspect of life that the path becomes real. That's when the path becomes real. It's where the rubber meets the road. It's where we experience what it is to live the Dharma from our gut, from our bones, instead of just our mind speaking these absolutely wonderfully pristine, lofty Dharmic principles, which are beautiful. There's nothing wrong with that. We want to be able to speak about the the pristine uh, nature of Dharma. But sometimes the mind is tricky. The mind can tell us that we understand something because we understand it with the mind, but we really don't get it. We really don't understand it. And when we encounter the red thread, we get to see what it is that we really understand. What have we learned? What is true for us? How do we deal with with, um, things that that are messy, for example? And we get to see where we've spiritually bypassed. Where have we sidestepped and used spiritual ideas and principles to avoid facing unresolved emotional and psychological issues? So they're not separate. They're not separate at all. And the true path ultimately embraces and includes, as I was saying before, this full entire 
spectrum of darkness and light. And that it actually, instead of saying, well, I don't want to get my hands dirty, that it may be beneficial to lean into it instead of pulling away from it, to get to know it, to not be afraid of it. And if we're talking, bringing it back to our theme, if we're talking about grief and love, they take us, they, they yank us out of our comfort zones. And they do, they do have the capacity to deepen our relationship to the path, but they, they can bring us to our knees. They humble us. They, sometimes they, they render us speechless. They can shatter us. And at the same time, they inspire a profound sense of the awe and mystery of both life and death. So that's, um, I, I love this, um, this koan because it brings together the pristine nature of the path, which we, which we love, and how messy life can be sometimes. It, it brings them together in a way that, to me, I find really useful and helpful. So that's the koan of the red thread. And um, before I open it up, I want to um, I want to share something uh, personal about what has happened for me this year. So, as I said, uh, I've had a year where there has been uh, an avalanche of of personal loss, including uh, the loss of a twenty uh, year relationship and the house that I lived in and care for 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 so many years, and many other things as well. Uh, the loss of a very close friend. And so I have been worshiping at the grief shrine in a way that I don't think I ever have before. And diving in, diving into it. And one night, um, speaking about wanting distractions um, from from the the present moment of grief, one night night I was listening to, um, I was on my computer and I was listening to this um, uh, YouTube video of a song that I that I liked. So I was watching YouTube videos because I love music, and I wanted to listen to some music. So I'm watching these YouTube videos, and I see on the sidebar that there's a song that I remember as a teenager that I loved. I danced to it. I played it over and over again until I wore the record out because in those days it was vinyl records and I hadn't listened to it in about 45 years. So I thought I'm going to click on the song and listen to it and see if I still like it. So I did. I clicked on the song. I listened to the whole song and I loved it just as much as I did when I was 16 years old. I loved the song and it took me back to that time in, in my life in a way that only music can. I, I mean, it took me right back there to what I was going through, to what I felt. And I remembered, as I was listening to the song, I remembered what it was to be young, to, be, to, have, to still have this, this innocence and idealism and to have boundless stamina and my hands didn't hurt like they do now. I didn't have any pain in my hands back then. And I was, I mean, things were not, you know, great in my family or anything like that. As a matter of fact, they were downright not good at all. But still, I had my youthfulness and I had so much to look forward to. And all of this great music that I was discovering, this great rock and roll and Motown music and how I used to dance in my room you know, listening to music, and it brought me back to all of that. And I, I just started crying. I was sitting where I'm sitting right now on my computer. I just started weeping. And I said to myself, I miss that. I miss my youth. I miss the physical beauty of youth. I miss the, the innocence and idealism of, of being young, of having my whole life to look forward to. I have never, ever grieved that before because I'm sure I said to myself, well, 
life just goes on. We all go through it. Just deal with it. You know, you're not there anymore. And all the things that we tell ourselves. But in that moment and that process that I was describing with grief, where it empties us out, it thaws and softens the heart. I just sat here and I just cried and I let myself grieve for something that I don't have anymore. And that is very, very powerful. So when we open the door and we let grief in, and when we worship at the grief shrine, there are many, many other things that can come up for us that we either have never grieved for, that we didn't grieve for enough, that we haven't grieved for in a long time. Maybe we didn't even know there was grief around it. But to me, it just opens a door to something. And there is great um, talking about um, following the thread and going to the great mystery. It's like, wow, I don't understand how how all this this works. It seems kind of like the, like this alchemical process, but I'm going to go with it. And I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let it ha- let it have its way with me. So I um I thought that was a good thing to share. It's a personal thing, but perhaps some of you can uh, can relate to this as well, and maybe you have your own stories about it. So um, I I've been speaking for about forty five minutes now, and uh, I want to know if there's uh, anybody that um, would like to participate or share anything or make any comments and would love to hear them. I would say I have a melancholic personality. It's been with me ever since I lost my mom at age 16. And at that point in time, when that event happened, I don't think I knew how to grieve Nahama. Mm Mm-hmm. I just kept going and never really gave way to the process like you're suggesting about letting it have its way with you. I was, I was totally devastated because my mom was kind of the anchor for me. And here I was going off to college. So what's come up for me is how personal this grieving process is to each one of us. And it's going to look absolutely different in terms of how long, how we handle it in private or in public. For so many years, I was in um, John T., one of the disciples, just to be able to live up to what those characters were supposed to be. But anyway, the the lyrics that kept going through my head were the roads ahead, let's walk it, and not to crumble on his grave. And I go, well, one could use that to do spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. But after doing a hundred shows, <laughs> I think some other level gets in. I have a question for you. To be present and to not linger in the past, how can one recognize that and give full credence to however long one needs to grieve? Well, I think that the answer to that, like you were saying, grieving is a very personal process and it's different for, it's not the same for everybody. And so I think the answer to your question is the same thing. It's something that is, um, that is personal and individual. But I think that if we give ourselves to it, then it will lead us. I mean, sometimes I have felt just lost in a sense, like I'm, I'm swimming in it, I'm lost in it. But I think that if we stay with it and we stay with it and we stay with it and we stay with our breath 
I, I have I have rediscovered in this whole process and and this book that I'm reading reading the importance of the breath in every facet of our lives. So I think working with the breath is a good way to find an answer to your question. So it's not something like, well, this is what you do and this is how you do it. I think that you have to to follow your own process with it. That's what I would say. Thank you. COVID is interesting. The breath is our only connection to life. The lungs of the body are where we hold grief. And the disease attacks the lungs. I used to tell clients, the only way through the deep, dark forest, the interior of ourself, the only way through the deep, dark forest is to walk through it. And no one wants to do that because it's scary. So we try very hard to stay on our side. And we're always looking at the forest, thinking, I wonder what's in there. I wonder what's on the other side. How can I get there? But we're afraid to move. Sooner or later, we're forced to walk through. We're forced to look at ourselves at some point in our life. And so I think that's what COVID is doing. I think it's, you know, I think it's showing people the need to understand ourselves and the need to actually grieve our losses. You're right that uh, the virus affects the lungs and the lungs um, uh, is, is where grief is stored. There's a lot coming up with the breath and with lungs. I'm a, I'm a physical therapist and I cannot tell you how many patients have come in and talked about grief. And a lot of the patients I see, they're very, they're wealthy. They've got nice cars. They've got a few different homes. Um, they have all the comforts of life. And there's, they're going through a lot of grieving. So many people are. And I think it's lawful. I think it's lawful to have all of that grief come up because like I was saying before, as a culture, we don't have a mature relationship, I don't think, to grief. And we need to learn. We need to become fluent in the language of grief and, and see and understand that the, the, it's got tremendous potential to transform and, and purify in a way that I think would be very, very good for us. So, yes, thank you so much. I have been experiencing what I would call a universal grief or something which brings me back to personal grief. It's, it's an interesting time we live in. I feel like I grieve the country every day just about. Mm-hmm. Like, what I can't make peace with. In a way, what we can't make peace with, I believe that the only way we can make peace with it is to open ourselves to the wound. And the wound that's here is, is, is deep. It's interesting. I really feel like getting older brings grief to the head brings grief to the heart it's like we need to grieve I feel like I need to grieve that you know um, I wouldn't dare put on roller skates at this age you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like there is a there is something that we let go of so something else can take place inside and when I really grieve there's a recognition for me of relief. It doesn't mean I have to cry. It just means I have to acknowledge, but not from my head just, but from some bodily thing inside of me that's called life. You know, we take a breath when we're born and we give up a breath when we die. You know, and and there's something in between called life. 
And that life is generated through not just, haha, I'm happy, but through grief. Yeah. There is something real about getting older and the grieving of that because everything that we do can be a way that we that we prepare for death and everything everything that we work with all losses that we work with is, is a way when when our reference points have been stripped away our identifications are ripped away from us when we stand in nothing but groundlessness i mean i think all of that is it's it's like it's why it's why we've studied the dharma it's why we may have a teacher so that we know how to deal with the inevitable losses of life because that's that's what's up you know and even that story that I told about uh, remembering being young and all that, another loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like there is a lot of loss. And it's not that there's only just sorrow and grieving and loss. Sometimes there's joy, too. It's brutal. But it's also liberating. And in that sense of liberation, it's like, you know, it's like we have all these coats, all these layers of coats that we're wearing and we begin our, our coats are like our identifications and then we begin to shed one layer one coat then another coat the way a snake sheds its skin you know and we go oh my god maybe i'm going to be cold you know maybe i'm going to be exposed to the elements and yes it can be very very brutal but it's it's there's something exhilarating about it and liberating and i just want to add that to what you're saying and your very real comment about what it is to um grieve grieve as we get older and things that we are not able to do i've got i have a lot of patients and they come in they come hobbling in and they say oh i lifted something i shouldn't have lifted I spend too much time landscaping or out in the garden. I went my mountain biking on too rough of a path and come in and they they're in all this pain, they can barely walk. And now I talk to them about, you know, I say, "Well, look, you can't do this. It's probably better if you don't do this anymore, do it differently. This is how you should take care of your spine and all of this." And now I'm also talking to them about, do you feel any grief? Is there anything coming up for you around realizing that you cannot do what you used to be able to do? Because so many people say that I used to be able to do this. I can't do it anymore. And you can tell from how they're saying it and how their eyes look that, that, that it's hard for them. It's really hard for them. So I've kind of brought that in and, and, some people are very open to it. Some people are not as open, but um, some people actually really appreciate have someone talk to them about it. I'm I'm very moved by uh, your your talk and also the responses of our friends here. How deep the engagement with life is that's revealed in the kinds of comments that people are making. I'm seeing something more clearly tonight than I've seen it before, but it's what I've been experiencing, although not not cognizing until quite until just now, I think, that we're talking about grief in terms of loss. Um, but I think there's another dimension of our um, responsiveness to love that has not to do with loss, but with presence. Mm-hmm. And that some of what we experience, some of, let me personalize it, some of what I experience as the kind of tearing, searing, uh, painful uh, vulnerability that I associate with active grieving, uh, with loss, is also happening for me in simply uh, recognizing not the separation of loss 
but it's as if tenderness and grief are the same thing. So the full meeting of experience or the full meeting of love, the full meeting with another being, another person, has for me somehow the same kind of quality that grief has. It's, uh, it's very tender around the edges and it deeply enters the heart and it claims the emotions and it, uh, it penetrates the thinking. And I am compelled by the experience of presence in, with the same power that I'm compelled by the experience of absence or of loss. And so it's the quality of tenderness, of connection, of recognizing, not recognizing cognitively, but registering union. Thank you. When you're talking, I'm thinking that it's all associated with a longing that in that tenderness Mm -hmm. there's there's really there's there's this deep longing and in grief in loss there's deep longing and that's like the the undercurrent of it all this this longing for something that it's like that 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 lives in side of us in in the depth of our hearts and it's we can talk about it, but in in a sense, it's almost unnameable. It's almost beyond being able to articulate it in words. But but that's what I associate with that tenderness, that kind of aching tenderness. So I'm not sure if that's what what you meant, but it's very related. And I think I mean I love that you bring in the the word longing. I think of longing as a form of knowing. That we don't long for that which we don't, in some level, know already, <laughs> and so that that longing is is union speaking in us, and uh, and for me it feels very much like grief. It, it's it, it, I I've spent the entire year weeping, yeah, and laughing at myself for the weeping, <laughs> but a lot of weeping, and uh, and I think it's. You know, love singing its song within me, the love love of all beings, love of all of beingness, love of the inseparability of of everything, of everything. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we are going through this process of grieving and there's this kind of greater interiority within us. Mm-hmm. that kind of an openness in the heart that I know that I have felt very alone yes. so much of the time. It's, it's, to me, it's a process that you go through. And yes, I was talking about grace and, and all of that. And there's always, always the flow of grace and the flow of benediction. But yet, it can be lonely and something that we go through alone. And yet, because... There is that cleansing being emptied out process mm-hmm. and that greater interior space. It's like, in, in a way, there's more room for everybody. Mm-hmm. There's more room for, for everything in creation. It just mm-hmm. creates this vastness within us. And so they're all with us. Mm-hmm. Everyone, everyone, everything, all beings. All creation is there with us because there is more space to hold it. And that's what I keep saying that I think is so important. We want to be able to hold more and more and more and witness more and more and more. So thanks. Yeah, I I do a lot of writing and I think it was through my it's through my writing practice that i'm i'm really doing some work with the grief of of this past year for myself so writing not cuz i want to write a book you know but just to be able to really deeply write i think it's not too late to grieve one's parents or to grieve a deep loss that happened in childhood and there's a difference for me 
if you're mining the past as an excuse for why you're not living in the present, but if you're mining your past loss as a way of healing, as a way of completing, as a way of nurturing and fortifying yourself, and also really being able to be available to others who've had the same or similar kinds of losses, I, I think it's really a valuable, valuable work to, to do. And the other thing that came to my mind was a lot of grief work doesn't have to be done sitting in a chair. Alice Walker has this fabulous poem called Hard Times Require F- Furious Dancing. <laughs> and we can, we can move with grief. We can play the music that you're talking about, Nahama, the music that arouses that kind of um, memory, um, energy in the body, brokenheartedness. And we can actually do more than just sit with our grief. There's another way in which I think we may be um, confining ourselves to what it means. So um, I'm just going to take a stand for using our bodies and sensation and our art and our expressions of art whatever it is that's a fabulous contribution and um, i'm all for that and i have actually have a confession to make so the story about listening to the music video of the song that i listened to when i when i was a teenager and that whole experience well um, I, I don't live in a big space i live in a pretty small space but i went to the biggest part of the house I took my computer, I used my little um, speaker and so I could amplify the sound. And I just like danced my heart out to that song. I didn't say that, you know, I didn't, I didn't say that, but I, that's what I did because that, that's, (laughs) that song brought me a lot of joy as music does. Music is such a, is such a profound source of joy for me. And yes, um, I danced to it when I was 16. And at 64, I danced to it in my small little house in the living room. And it was, it was great. After I was sat here and shed some tears about it. And I think it's a really, really important way to metabolize grief. I want to talk for a moment about the what is gained by loss. What happens when I fall into grief the way I fall in love is that grief escorts me through a gate into the unknown where the mind can't follow. If I allow my heart to be broken, and I don't interfere. The grief of a broken heart thrusts me into organic ignorance. My original state of innocence. And I find to my complete and utter amazement that in that state where grief has taken me, there is this Joy. At the heart of grief, at the center of organic ignorance, where I don't know anything and where thought can't rescue me, beauty resides there. I call it the mother spirit. And when I remain there, I wind up feeling held and I'm humbled and what I experience is an overflowing heart of compassion and nurturing for self and others for the earth for the great mother thanks Red Hawk I'll try not to cry right now. Um, I think that uh, 
I think what you're what you're saying is so true. And I think that it really does take us into it takes us into it leads us to into greater um compassion that goes hand in hand with brokenheartedness and and love. You know, it takes us because it's a holy thing to love what death can touch. That's what that poem says that I read earlier. And this is a holy process. There's something sacred about it. There's something sacred about the, um, the willingness to love um, profoundly, in the, it, knowing that it will be taken away and that um it's it's a it's a holy and a sacred process to just be willing to just go there and there are there are gems that come out of it and if what arises through a broken heart is is love and compassion to me it 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 doesn't get much better than that from my personal experience in the deepest of my darkest grieving times. So I was so open to everything around me because there was nothing what I was really able to do than to be in the present because the grief was everything what I could feel in this moment. There was nothing left. And, and in a way it had, really a sweetness in it because even when I was like on the bottom I had this feeling still in my surrender that there are endless possibilities there there, there was it's it's like for me it was this they were like both both ways yeah it's like there was groundlessness there but in the groundlessness from my old life, so the, my old life was not there anymore. And then there was like this openness there. And that was what I still remember from that time and took with me to that I can hold these possibilities and the surrender, what is in surrender and be to be in the present moment. This is what I learned from from the darkest of my times. Thanks for sharing that. I want to read two poems. So the first poem is called In Blackwater Woods, and it's by Mary Oliver. Look, the trees are turning their own bodies into pillars of light, are giving off the rich fragrance of cinnamon and fulfillment. The long tapers of cattails are bursting and floating away over the blue shoulders of the ponds. And every pond, no matter what its name is, is nameless now. Every year, everything I have ever learned in my lifetime leads back to this. The fires and the black river of loss, whose other side is salvation, whose meaning none of us will ever know. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal, to hold it against your bones, knowing your own life depends on it. And when the time comes, to let it go to let it go. This is a poem by Denise Levertov. It's called Talking to Grief. Ah, grief, I should not treat you like a homeless dog who comes to the back door for a crust, for a meatless bone. I should trust you. I should coax you into the house and give you your own corner. 
a worn mat to lie on, your own water dish. You think I don't know you've been living under my porch. You long for your real place to be readied before winter comes. You need your name, your collar, and tag. You need the right to warn off intruders, to consider my house your own, and me your person, and yourself my own dog. And I do have, a, this is a, a quote from my teacher, Lee Lozowick. It's a, more of an esoteric quote, but um, we've talked a lot about grief. We've, of course, we've talked about the interconnectedness of, of love and grief, but this is, this is a quote uh, from Lee Lozowick about true love. True love is, for want of a better term, transcendental. It requires a total shift from the world of fantasy, imagination, of illusion, expectation, projection, and definition to a world of possibility, of objective mood, of infinite rasa. True love is truly love not self-centered, not in a sense other-centered, but rather creation-centered or truth-centered. You know, sometimes something uh, experiential occurs in talks. I mean, it always there always is something like that, but sometimes more than others. So being so in the moment that there's nothing else Prayer, love for the other. To me, we're uh, when we're really uh, in grief, we're we just we have no control, and we have to um, walk through it, and we don't know where it will lead. Nama, thanks for bringing the uh, considerations tonight. You're welcome. Thank you, everybody, for your fabulous contributions. <laughs>